You're listening to Expat Property Story, a podcast in which I share my story to smooth the way for you to have your own Expat Property Story. Hello there. Episode 61 is the fifth instalment of our Christmas mini-season in which I'm counting down my top 10 books for expat property investors, although pretty much all of these titles are great books whether you're an expat or not. As a quick reminder of the books covered so far, Sharing 10th Place was The Price of Money by Rob Dix and The Complete Guide to Property Finance by Richard Brown, followed by Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely at 9 and The Millionaire Fastlane by MJ DeMarco at 8, which means that today's book is number 7 on the list. It's by Robert B. Cialdini and the title is Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion. This book was originally published in the 1980s. It explains the psychology of why people say yes by presenting six universal principles that teach you not just how to become a skilled persuader, but just as importantly, how to defend yourself against them. These six principles are described as weapons of influence, and they are reciprocation, commitment and consistency, social proof, authority, liking, and scarcity. The first one, reciprocation, is pretty self-explanatory. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Cialdini explains how powerful this weapon is, as we are all vulnerable after being given something for free. I don't know about you, but I've definitely bought things from a storeholder at a farmer's market after being given a free sample of an olive or a slice of cheese because I felt guilty about just taking the free sample. The author points out that this rule can trigger unfair exchanges, which I can relate to. I once had a housemate who was always really generous when he had something to share. The problem was that nine times out of ten, he didn't have anything to share and relied on the rule of reciprocity to bail him out. The second principle is commitment and consistency. Cialdini tells us that the drive to be consistent often causes us to act in ways that are clearly contrary to our best interests. This chapter contains my favourite part of the book, which I've passed on to others long after forgetting which book it came from until researching the books for this mini-season. It involves certain large toy stores who use this weapon of influence to lessen the effect of problems caused by seasonal buying patterns. Their main problem is that in the run-up to Christmas, they make loads of money, but then, inevitably, sales slump in the months that follow. Parents are understandably not in toy-buying mode after Christmas. The toy stores in the author's example came up with an ingenious plan. Year after year, they would run a highly visible marketing campaign in the run-up to Christmas, only to undersupply the stores with the featured in-demand toy of the year. When parents were unable to purchase the toy after weeks of nagging from their children, they would buy something else to ensure that the child had something to unwrap on Christmas Day. But having made a commitment to their children, wanting to remain consistent with their word and not letting them down, parents would invariably return to the store after Christmas when stocks were magically replenished, meaning that the stores were able to maintain healthy sales both before and after Christmas. Now, when I say this is my favourite part of the book, it's not because I agree with these tactics, but I do admire the ingenuity behind them. And one of the purposes of this book is for readers to be more aware of and able to defend themselves against these weapons of influence. The third principle presented in the book is called social proof, and the basic idea here is that people will do things they see other people doing. And one of the most obvious examples of this is canned laughter on TV sitcoms, and the author points out that experiments have shown that the use of canned laughter causes the audience to laugh longer and louder. And you only have to look at the willingness of people to join cults to see the power of this particular principle. Cialdini argues that this weapon of influence is so powerful 
that when a belief is called into question or even found to be false, rather than lose faith, victims of social proof become even more convinced, entrenched and devout in their belief. Years ago, I met someone who was an expert in launching clubs, as in music clubs, and their tactic was to announce the opening night and not let in anyone for several nights, leading to long queues outside, which acted as social proof that this was a night out not to be missed. And here in Hong Kong, many top-end stores have a policy of only admitting a few customers at a time, apparently so that staff are not overwhelmed and to reduce the likelihood of shoplifting. Or is it perhaps a display of social proof that this is a shop worth visiting? And if you are choosing somewhere to eat, aren't you more likely to pass on the restaurant that's empty in favour of the one providing social proof that the food will be better, but where you may have to wait longer to get served? Cialdini closes this chapter with a subsection called How to Say No, and in relation to property, perhaps you should question whether the expensive cars and houses shown off by so-called property gurus on YouTube really do belong to them, or did they just borrow them for the sake of faking social evidence of success? The fourth principle is liking. It's hard to say no to someone you like, and this chapter talks about the power of physical attractiveness, similarity, and paying people compliments. The psychology behind good cop, bad cop is also examined, as is the way politicians tap into our liking of certain celebrities to help persuade us to vote for them. The penultimate principle is authority. People will do what they're told by people in authority, even if they think and know it's wrong. One example cited in this chapter is the My Lai Massacre in Vietnam. Another is the Milgram Shock Experiment in 1965, which aimed at researching how far people would go in obeying an instruction if it involved harming another person. I don't have time to explain the whole experiment here, but the conclusion drawn was that ordinary people are likely to follow orders given by an authority figure, even to the extent of killing an innocent human being. Cialdini identifies titles, clothes and the trappings of success as symbols of authority. So the next time you see a smartly dressed individual stepping out of an expensive car with a PhD in property, perhaps think twice about signing up for their mentorship program, particularly if, as is the case with many of them, they've not been through a recession before. And the final weapon of influence, the cream on the top if you like, is scarcity. Perceived scarcity generates demand. Like the other five on the list, scarcity is an obvious carrot, but nonetheless powerful for it. The idea of potential loss plays such a huge role in human decision-making that it's no surprise to see so much marketing dependent on the limited offer or limited edition, which plays into our natural fear of missing out. We all want what we think we can't have. This chapter features a photo of a man holding a dollar bill he bought for $400 because the bill had been mistakenly printed without a serial number, making it a scarcity and effectively worth 400 times its ordinary value assuming, of course, that someone else would be willing to pay him what he'd paid himself. Now, as property investors, can we ever be sure when we're told by an agent working on behalf of a vendor that we'd better hurry up as there are other offers on the table? And just two weeks ago, I was alerted to a deal that was entered into an auction so late in the day that there were unlikely to be any other bidders, as most buyers would be put off by the lack of time for due diligence. Now, these type of deals don't come around very often. They are by definition scarce, but equally, I knew that others had also been alerted. It subsequently became apparent that the property was non-standard construction. Standard houses have brick or stone walls with a roof made of slate or tile. 
A non-standard construction is therefore anything that falls outside of this and as such are hard to mortgage. Now whether the auctioneer was aware of this or not is unknown, but by presenting the deal in the way that they did, they were surely able to drum up interest that may previously have not been there. So that is Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion by Robert B. Cialdini. Let's check out what reviewers on Goodreads made of it. Someone called Mark gave it five stars and wrote, Required reading for all marketing professionals. The book details the most common approaches to influencing the decisions of others, backed up by the author's time spent infiltrating direct marketing companies and the like. Offers handy hints on how to spot when you're being manipulated and how to handle it. A very enjoyable read should leave you much more aware of how you're being played the next time you're in the market for a used car. Someone called T, however, was less impressed and gave it one star. Subpar pop psychology for business dweebs and STEM lords who refuse to read actual clinical or academic psychology. Years later, Cialdini wrote a follow-up book called Presuasion, which teaches the reader how to set up the persuasion with particular questions that prime the person. But by all accounts, It's not in the same bracket as its predecessor and definitely not as good as tomorrow's book, which sits at number six on my list. Join me for that. You've been listening to Expat Property Story.